Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We're glad you're joining us this episode and we've got Ian Davis here. Ian is the owner of Blip Coffee down in the West Side area, right? Yeah, down in the West, West Bottoms. Bottoms. Yep. And um, it's great to have you here. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks We've for having been, me on. Been trying to connect for a while. So, oh, yeah. yeah, let's let's start by um, just hearing where you're from, where you grew up, kind of your family background, that kind of stuff. Sure. So my uh, my whole family's from Florida, myself included, but I've lived in Kansas City since I was three. Mm. Um, so my uh, my brother still lives in the area, but my sister and parents have kind of moved back to the East Coast. Um, okay. Where'd you go to high school? I went to Rockhurst High School. Oh yeah? Yeah. Wasn't wasn't a great time, um, but yeah. uh, went to Casey Moe Public Schools, uh, charter schools, magnet schools, uh, through grade school, went to Rockhurst High School, uh, went to UMKC, um, mm. didn't graduate, but you know, put in my four and a half years. What were you, uh, what, were, what kind of classes were you taking in college? Uh, I was actually a French major um, with an English minor and um, Serious. completed all the coursework for both of them. And, uh, you know, I hadn't met with a counselor, I think the entire time, right? Like I didn't know anything. Nobody reached out to me. And uh, <laughs> finally, you know, one of my uh, French professors, you know, I'm taking like grad classes and stuff. And they're like, hey, like, shouldn't you apply for graduation? I was like, oh, let me go do that. So. I go apply for graduation. They're like, yeah, no dog. That's a no for me dog. You gotta, you're missing like all these uh, undergraduate courses with for math or for, you know, whatever else it was. And they're like, yeah, you got another, I don't know, year and a half of basics in order to graduate. And I was mm. like, I'm good. <laughs> like what, I finished the work. What drew you to French? I actually grew up speaking French. Um, so I started out in a, um, a magnet school um, in Sugar Creek, um, it's kind of like Independence, Missouri, called um, Sugar Creek Elementary. Hmm. Um, and so, starting in uh, kindergarten, it's a French-only um, immersion. Hmm. So um, it was it was pretty cool, and and I kind of followed that track throughout grade school. So bounced around quite a bit, but went to uh, Sugar Creek Elementary, uh, Longin Elementary, which is um, kind of over by the Costco in Midtown. Um, went to uh, Goodness, where else did we go? I guess for, for French, I also went to Academy Lafayette. Um, went there for a couple of years, wow. you know, kind of rounding out grade school. But are your parents, uh, what, what, like, what are your, is your parent, are your parents French or are they? They're not, you know, I, I'm not, not actually sure what the inspiration okay. was, but uh, we lived in Independence. So, you know, the, the options for grade schools, you know, that kind of seemed like a good mm -hmm. one. Um, you know, did you do French and Rockhurst a lot too? Did um, they had it as an option, yeah. um, but you know, I think I took a semester of it or something like huh. that. But the, you know, the the French immersion that that I grew up with was very different than 
um, super different from anything at Rockhurst. Um, you know, still very different at the university level, but um, you know, when most people think of a, a French classroom, you know, they might think of a teacher from Paris or a teacher mm -hmm. from France. Um, and I've actually, um, I don't know that I've ever had a teacher from Europe, maybe, maybe one or two, but mm -hmm. um, really most of, most of my teachers of the years have been from Africa. So um, I've had teachers from, you know, Cameroon, Mauritania, um, Seychelles Islands, you know, you, very you name interesting. It. So um, a really, a really interesting and diverse, you know, schooling through the uh, beginning stages yeah. of my uh, education. And That's uh, interesting. high school was just kind of like the, the opposite of, of that, you know, what yeah, you yeah. grew to know. So that's interesting. I, I, uh, I've got a lot of degrees, but so like when I was in college, um, you had to have, I was a bachelor of arts guy at Baylor. And so you had to have two years of a language and, and because I'd taken a couple of years of French in high school, I, I decided that, uh, I do French because I could get out of like the whole first year French at college and I jumped right into third and fourth semester French in college and I really two years in high school didn't prepare me for that sure um, so like I had I I actually had my third sem the, the first semester I took French at college which was a third semester French class half the class was in French and half was in English so I could I kind of hung in there and got a C, but then the fourth semester, it was with this lady who was from Paris. Okay. And the whole class was French. Yeah. Like she didn't speak any English. So I, like I, it's the only D I have in my whole transcript. Like I, I'd have to sit next to my friend in the back and like, what'd she say? <laughs> Just follow along <laughs> in the book, terrible. you know, smile and nod. What's know. funny then, then I got back I was actually working on a PhD in the Hebrew Bible and you had to either have German or f French, like theological German or French. So then I, then I ended up revisiting theological French, which was, you know, so, so French has been kind of a little teeny bit of my life, but have you ever been to, to, to France or anything? I yet? haven't. I've been to uh, Canada, so I've been to Montreal, but that's okay. been the extent of my yeah. travels. Can you? Can you converse pretty well? Yeah, you know, I, I don't often, um, but, um, you know, conversing was always what came so easy. So, okay. you know, understanding, um, you know, what kind of came secondary to me was uh, the writing. And so that was very interesting because, you know, in, a, you know, in an educational program, most kids who are learning French are really learning the conjugations. They're really learning how to write well. Mm -hmm. um, whereas mine was almost the opposite where I grew up speaking interacting you know learning all sorts of yeah um you know we we learned math and science and history in mm -hmm. french um so when i got to college you know it was clear i was you know not as uh, far along as as everybody else were was in their uh, writing, skills. writing skills yeah interesting what'd you do after college Let's see. So after college, um, was working in coffee in Kansas City. Um, you know, worked at a little shop called Oak Street Coffee Shop at 63rd and Oak. Okay. Um, I guess that was kind of um, through through college a little bit. Um, 
you know, bounced around a little bit, worked a few different odd jobs, um, moved out of Kansas City. I moved to Charleston, South Carolina for about a year um, and was doing coffee down there and um, moved back to Kansas City and started Blip in 2014. Okay. So. Yeah. Eight years. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Blip coffee. So, um, yeah, before we jump into the coffee world, so were you, did you go to Rockers? Was your family Catholic in background? Did you have? Yeah, they were Catholic and okay. my mom was actually a teacher there. So, ah. um, you know, my parents did lots of interesting things, but uh, maybe the most interesting was that uh, they really positioned themselves to give us free education. So like my mom taught at a, or I'm sorry, my dad taught at a private school to get my sister uh, free mm -hmm. access. And then similarly, my mom taught at mm -hmm. Rockhurst to get my brother and I mm. um, access to that too. Yeah, yeah. So was, so were you, were, were they pretty committed Catholics? Was that a- Oh yeah, absolutely. Was that a, was that a positive or a negative in your, in your world? Oh man. I mean, th yeah, this is where you might cut me off. Um, you know, I, I think that there, there can really be a lot of positives to religion. You know, mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, the, the idea of the sense of community, you know, can be a basic one. Um, you know, offering, a, an agreed upon set of ideals, you know, or, um, you know, for, for a community, I, I think that can be good. Um, you know, and maybe this is like the goofiest answer you ever got on here, but follow me on the tangent, you know? Um, I, it probably I, won't be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I also see, you know, a lot of hurt. You know, I also see like uh, that it also causes a lot of issues, you know? I'm, uh, uh, my partner Madison and I have been together for, I think going into our fifth year, um, and she has a, a daughter, Pearl, who, um, you know, we first met, I think, when she was three and mm -hmm. she's turning um, seven. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, kind of learning how to be a dad, learning how to, you know, help kids, have a family, you know, kind of yeah. kind of coming into it, not knowing everything, right? And, um, and if there's one thing that I've learned and Pearl's like super rambunctious, super smart, um, you know, like a really fun, smart kid, um, you know, is figuring out what she needs from me, you know, like, um, she's going to figure it out. She's going to know how to learn and get good grades. And, you know, we, we read and do math and, you know, we do all these things, but that was kind of the, the question I was faced with, mm -hmm. you know, I was like, what is this, what does this kid need from me? And, you know, the only thing that she wants is support and love Yeah. and to know that I'm going to show up for her no matter what, mm -hmm. you know, and if I can communicate that to her, mm -hmm. that's all she needs. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's, that's the support she needs. That's the, um, you know, there's, there's not much else that, that I can offer that, uh, you know, and, and I don't know if she would say it in as many words, but I think she would kind of come around to that too. Mm -hmm. Um, and so with, with religion, you know, um, does it, does it help do that? Mm -hmm. You know, and, uh, some sometimes I think it can, mm -hmm. you know, but you know, especially when we're talking about Catholicism or you know, um, you know, you could probably probably offer a lot of different examples of of ways that religion really gets in the way that 
might not allow me to love this kid or to let this kid know that I love them unconditionally. You know, like whatever you do, I'm gonna show up. Like mm -hmm. whatever happens, I'm gonna be there for you. Mm -hmm. Whatever mistake you make, whatever decision mm -hmm. that you made at that time, doesn't matter, mm -hmm. I'm pulling up. Um, so like, uh, you know, I was, you know, just, just talking with different family members and, you know, chatting and, you know, like, depending on, on your views about things, you know, like, what if, uh, you know, like, what if your kid is gay? Mm -hmm. How do you handle that right. as a parent, as a, um, let's say if you're a Christian, does your religion get in the way of the love that you should be showing your kid? Right. You know, like, what's that interaction going to be like? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if your kid is you know, fill in the blank, you know, I think, I think that's probably like the most clear example, right? Sure. But um, I, I think that that's, that's my take on it, is, mm -hmm. is I, I think that there can be some benefits, um, but more often than not, I, I think that um, you really see it move families apart. You know, I mean, you really see, uh, especially like an older generation to a newer generation, you know, the the realization that, you know, maybe um, this generation of adults has a has a cap on their ability to love me, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the way they were raised, because of the institution that they've bought into. Um, you know, here I am out of wedlock with this baby and this girl living in Wyandotte County, you know, like, is that, you know, yeah. is that is that this like, really bad thing i mean is this like um you know you're as, as maybe my parents or you know other folks their age might look at that and say oh i you know we can't support this you know yeah. we can't um you know i can't love my child yeah. you know enough i can't show them that uh unconditional love when really that's all kids ever need you know mm. yeah i there's the hot take no you, i appreciate <laughs> that yeah it was interesting i was um I haven't I haven't interviewed a bunch of people who grew up Catholic, but um, one of the guys I interviewed was Matt Pryor, who was uh, with the Get Up Kids. Okay, and he grew up Catholic, and I asked him, um, like, was that positive or negative? And he was like, like it was a hundred percent negative for him. You sure. Know? I mean, it, and he ran from any kind of Christianity or institutional religion, you know, the rest of his life. But he still still has some really good practices in. Um, you know, meditation, mental health, all that, which I, which I think are all spiritual paths as, as well. But yeah, I think when, I think when, um, when any kind of rules or dogma like hinder you from understanding if you believe in a God, that God is love or if, or it hinders you from actually loving people, then I think that's a problem. Yeah, and, I, and, and I think, and I think, so, unfortunately, I mean, I think if you look at the news, if you Google yeah. any of that, I mean, uh, organized religion has not uh, embraced that. You know, I mean, organized religion has really found all of these different ways to separate people, to separate families. Mm -hmm. You know, to uh, yeah. make people feel like they're they're not enough or they're not living up to. Yeah. You know the, can be, the current understood 
you know, understanding of a book, right? Can be very shame based. Totally. Uh, very, very rule based rules that a lot of times don't promote love. Um, yeah, that's religion at its worst, I think. Right? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that for yeah. sure. Yeah, so, yeah, I am radically committed to love and grace these days. And that, that if, you, if you believe in God, that that is what God is. God is love, boom, period. And then that, that love, the, the way we need to interpret everything and walk through everything is with that ethic of love. And, yeah, uh, I mean, I think I think that's spot on. You know, I think it's a, uh, it's it is tricky though because you're like you're trying to put like a square block in a round hole by trying to like use the vessel of like organized religion to communicate that. Yeah, you know, I mean, it just doesn't work. You know, it's like uh, you <laughs> like, I mean, you have like uh, history, you have thousands of years, you have uh, doctrines, you have you know, it's kind of like politicians you know like look at the people making the rules about the way that you yeah. know, we want to experience religion yeah. and it's like or it's like man like yeah. y'all are living in antiquity <laughs> you know what i'm right. saying like uh if if you want to be a uh if you want people to come to religion if you want people to um experience something good from this you're just going i my take is it's just, they're going about it the wrong way mm. you know they're they're mm -hmm. trying to hold on to something that, you know, I think is, uh, you know, pretty clear that a lot of people are moving away from, mm -hmm. you know, in, in ways that, um, or, or maybe in, uh, the, the amount of people moving away from mm -hmm. that is maybe unprecedented. I, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, just demographically and statistically in America right now, um, you know, honestly for the last four decades, the, uh, there are less and less people in America attending church, attending organized religions, um, and and that that could be Christianity or or any other type of organized uh, religion as well. It could be mosques or or it could be synagogues, you know, or churches. Um, but definitely the church, and uh, and it is a it is a it is increasing and. Um, yeah, and what I find out is that a lot of people who have done a hard exit on either conservative Catholicism or or evangelicalism um, that they're they're not anti-community, like you already stated, like that, like people still want to draw together for community, and and they're not necessarily even anti-Jesus. I mean, there's some things that they love about Jesus, right? But but. Uh, the dogma, the rules that don't make sense, the the, the, the uh, shame-based stuff, the condemnation, the division, vitriol, all those kind of things. Yeah. I hear you. Thanks for sharing. That's what I got. Yeah, yeah. So God made this cool plant, um, or somebody did, okay. or, or it evolved, right, some way or another, and, uh, and, we, and we, we get these cool beans off of them and oh i wasn't sure where this was going. I, was like, I was like i'm down <laughs> yeah i mean we don't have to talk well, about coffee at could, all we could talk medical marijuana or you know whatever but anyway all these cool plants right totally but yeah uh 
<laughs> we could go there too, but let's I'm stick down. with, we'll do a coffee first. All, All right. right. How's that? Sure. Um, yeah. So you got into coffee when you're in college. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, Oak street coffee shop was at 63rd and Oak and I'm sitting here with a, with a corporate coffee terrible. thing. I'm it's like, terrifying. sorry, I, yeah. I need to apologize you right should. off the bat. Absolutely. Sorry about that. Uh, Matt, why didn't you slap me, man? <laughs> but uh, so Oak Street <sighs> Coffee Shop was, um, you know, that was like kind of the neighborhood we, we grew up in. Um, and it was almost like pre-cell phone. And so um, we would meet at this coffee shop, you know, rain or shine every Saturday and Sunday morning. And that would kind of be our jumping off point. You know, our friends worked there. Um, so we'd hang out and then kind of figure out the plan. Are we gonna go play? ultimate frisbee are we going to go to the park are we going to go to popeyes are we going to go to the landing you know like what are we going to go do with the day um and so that's really ingrained in me is like you know a coffee shop being that community hub that center for people to gather um and and i think that that's like the most important part of what a coffee shop is mm. very cool yeah, the community that you can build around it is definitely, fun. I mean, it's similar to like a bar, like a local sure. bar, you know. Um, yeah, good stuff. So um, so let, let, before you started Blip, okay, what were some of your favorite coffee shops around Kansas City? Oh, man, um, I don't think any of them are still around. Um, oh, really? But okay. we had a, this was kind of the phase of like the, 90s mom mm -hmm. and pop coffee shop yeah. you know comfy chairs uh big menus weird food menus you know everybody's got like bagel sandwiches and stuff like um you know so uh there was oak street coffee shop there was uh you know muddy's there was uh the winged cup mm -hmm. over on gregory um one more cup in waldo um there were there were a bunch of good ones um okay. i actually just picked up the sign from the coffee break it was over uh over on truce mm. that building was they must have been shut down for like 15 years mm -hmm. um they had a cool cool little building over there but that's when coffee was very more focused on community you know really really buying into being a small business um you know, and, and you just don't see shops like that mm -hmm. around too much more. You know, it's it's very corporate. It's big picture. You're seeing acquisitions and purchases and sales, and um, you know everybody's chasing the volume and the cool neighborhoods. And um, you know, so so when we got started, you know the the intention was let's let's have room to grow and figure this out and build a community. And you know what what may come you know, we, we don't know, mm -hmm. but, um, we, we weren't going to approach it as a, let's go open in the crossroads to sell the most coffee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you start? I'm going to put my, yeah, get that, get that out of frame. For sure. <laughs> now I, I, I just repented everybody. All right. So, um, changed my ways. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's my, my closest little shop here but uh my friend i had a friend up here that started head rush sure went to went to high school with uh, eric schneider who was okay. the owner there and then they actually had to 
they had some family stuff come up, so they had to shut down. Yeah, I saw that. And then, but I think they, they're back. They open. just reopened the one in uh, Briarcliff. Okay. But, um, I used to run down to Broadway Cafe quite a oh, bit. Oh yeah, yeah. Throw like Broadway in there for sure. I mean, yeah. Broadway as a as a roaster, I think, kind of fits mm-hmm. into a different category than the the mm-hmm. shops I listed before. But yeah. everybody bought Broadway's beans at those shops. Yeah. Know, so, and they were. Um, I was on a. They they were a sponsor of one of the cycling teams I used to race for. So excellent. Back in ten years ago, if you'd have gone in, or twenty years ago, even if you'd gone in there, you would have. They would have had one of my one of my team cycling jerseys hanging on the wall in there. So yeah, Broad, Broadway's excellent. They're they're definitely one of kind of those. You know, they still have some comfy chairs. They've got the cool checkerboard floor. Mm-hmm. You know, they still yeah, got it going on. Definitely got some good character there. Um, what. What, uh, how, so how deeply have you, do, like, do you buy your coffee beans? Where do you get your coffee beans? Do you, are, are you hiring your, do you guys, you guys roast your own beans? Yeah, so we, we so, import, so we import green coffee, um, and then we have our roaster on site at our shop in the West Bottoms. Um, you know, over the years, um, you know, we've worked with a lot of different coffees, a lot of different importers, um, you know, a couple that stand out. Um, there's a, a company called uh, Cafe Oots, which means uh, good coffee, um, run by Candice Castor. Um, she is, um, she brings coffee from Lake Atitlan in Guatemala. Um, if you, even if you just Google Lake Atitlan, it's like the most beautiful scenery you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are uh, shade-grown coffees grown around um, 2,000 meters mm-hmm. um, on the slopes of this volcano that now houses Lake Atitlan mm-hmm. inside the volcano. Mm. Um, totally pristine, totally crazy. I'd love to go visit. Um, but Candace has been based in Kansas City for many years and has sold coffee to lots of, lots of folks. Yeah. Um, and then uh, another... Another company we've been working with um, is uh, Dona Fina. Um, they're here in Kansas City um, on the importing and roasting side. Um, and Erica's dad is actually the grower, um, the processor, the packer, the shipper, and they ship all this coffee um, from their farm. Um, Where's their farm? Um, you know, I'd have to double check on exactly yeah. where it's from. Um, Erica is your. She so she actually works with us at Blip, and she roasts all of her coffee on our roaster. Okay. Um, for uh, under the Dona Fina okay. uh, label, so oh, cool. they've got a really cool setup where they're um, again. It's you know we won't get uh, super specialty, but you know there's a big conversation on the use of the phrase direct trade, mm. and. Um, if people can actually use that uh, term, mm-hmm. you know, about coffee they purchase and import, um, I think that this term might be allowed in, in this capacity mm-hmm. um, because they do own their farm, they're doing all the work, they're importing it, they're roasting it, yeah. you know, they're selling it to the end consumer. So Very cool. Yeah, so we so we import coffee, but we import coffees from all over. You know, we, we have coffees, you know, at the moment from South America, you know, which would be like Brazil, Guatemala, Mexico, 
Um, we've got coffee from Ethiopia, uh, Sumatra. You know, we, we get coffees from all over for sure. Yeah. So we, we roast in the West Bottoms. Um, we do a, a fair amount of wholesale. So we sell to coffee shops, um, offices, you know, anybody who needs kind of like a bulk amount of coffee. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And then we have our uh, retail side open seven days a week from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Wow. Excuse me. So you can purchase, a, you know, 12 ounce boxes of coffee, you know, anytime. Okay. Cool. Um, I, I go to Ethiopia quite often. Excellent. And, uh, you know, the first time I went there was probably in 2002, something like that. And I was just there last October. I'll be, probably be going back in in October, but I always bring back a, a bunch of coffee from there. But um, the first time I went there, you know, I, and I'm connecting with local people. So uh, I... I did one of their Ethiopian coffee ceremonies sure. and ended up falling in love with this. So they, they have this ancient tradition where they, you know, they literally have like this really incredibly good charcoal that they buy that they, they actually have a little, a little charcoal grill, like in their living room and it doesn't smoke the place out, but it burns really hot. They roast their beans right there. They'll grind, they'll, like I've had them where they mash their beans. Sure. And then they, you know, and then they do, it's kind of almost like espresso shots. Then they then they pop popcorn out of that same thing. Oh, just, yeah, for sure. They just sit around and drink shots of, of coffee and popcorn and have great conversation. Just I'm commu- into it. Community oh, yeah. building, you know. Absolutely. So that's one of my favorite uh, pastimes is uh, hanging out with doing Ethiopian coffee ceremonies. I need to get get it going here. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It'd be fun. Um, so uh, so you have Ethiopian coffee as well. Yep. All right. Or how do you get is there a dealer over there that you work with? So uh, you know, I I try not to uh, make these processes like too fantastical. You know, I think that they're mm-hmm. usually portrayed that way like oh i've discovered this amazing coffee and i brought it and we're roasting and it's we made a video you know and like um i think that there's like something to that but um you know the realities around you know uh purchasing coffee is that it's a you know this is a massive commodity you know i mean this is a big traded commodity um you know you could look up the the c price of coffee today probably changed from yesterday um and and there's like tons of regulation you know i mean you've got um tariffs in import export laws um you know depending on the the country it's coming from you know if there's a lot of turmoil going on it might be hard to get stuff out of that country without a you know we've we've worked with farmers who've had to send it to a different country to get Mm. shipped out you know you've had worked with folks who've had to pay a bribe to somebody at the port, you know, yes. to make sure their, their stuff is going to leave on time. Um, so the, um, all, all that to say, um, you really do have to work within the system to get coffee most of the time. So, you know, this is coming over shipped in, you know, 40 foot shipping containers. Um, the bags are approximately 150 pounds. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's quite a bit that goes into it. Mm. Um, you know, you, you might have to carry insurance on, 
you know, that on the beans coming over, you know, you want to make sure that they're not being shipped with something that could spoil, that could alter the beans. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's fun to think about, you know, oh, mm. we could go on a trip and mm. find some good coffee in a mountain somewhere mm. and we'll harvest it and put it in our backpack and bring it back and share our journey <laughs> and, you know, experience and share that with everyone. And, and I think that that's like still the general idea um, is that you want to find really delicious coffees that are that have a cool story. You want to work with good people, um, but you still have to work within the confines mm -hmm. of, you know, the, the importing and exporting world. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, and and then I know, too, like some people make a big deal out of organic or fair trade or all, totally all these and those and those are all uh, good certifications. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of different certifications. You know, you can get a, you know, there's the the Rainforest Alliance. There's, you know, you mentioned Fair Trade, uh, organic. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of different um, benefits that different farms can offer. Mm. Um, but you have to be careful not to paint the entire. Um, you know, all green coffee exporting or importing with that same brush of like, oh, if it's not fair trade, it's not good. Mm. Or if it's not organic, it's not good. Or, um, you know, it, it might very well be that you could be buying a farm with better practices than the requirements for, um, you know, something being labeled fair trade organic. Mm -hmm. um, but the reality is, is that those all cost money you know, so if you're working with smaller farms, they might not be able to afford that certification. Mm -hmm. They might not meet the water runoff requirements needed, but maybe they land on everything else. Yeah. Um, so I think to to the general consumer, they're all good things to have. You know, those are things to keep an eye on. Um, but you just want to be careful and not try and paint. Um, you know, every coffee is like, oh, if it's if it's not in the rainforest alliance they're not good you know yeah um, that's not necessarily what it means okay you guys have um done a good job with uh your branding it seems like and then and then you've also been able to draw the motorcycle crowd talk talk about your branding and then the motor you know and how you've kind of catered to to the, the cycling community yeah so i i think it all kind of boils down to to the same idea we've already brought up which is um, how do we build community? You know, for me, that passion was always coffee. You know, how do we make this community center? Um, you know, and, and how do we make it something interesting? Like how can we, uh, bring different demographics into the fold? You know, um, we didn't open, you know, and, and I very well tried to, don't get me wrong, but you know, we didn't open a, pour over bar, you know, we didn't go after, um, the specialty demographic specifically, you know, we didn't open, uh, the most expensive or the, um, fanciest coffee shop, mm -hmm. you know, because our intention was not to do that. Our intention was to build a community space, build a community, use coffee as that catalyst to, to bring folks together. And when we look at, what that community could look like, 
you know, it doesn't have to be the same as every coffee shop, you know, like, um, I think, I think Kansas city is an interesting example. You know, I think if you are talking to any lay person and you're like, Hey, you're, can you, can you draw me what a coffee customer looks like? You know, I think like, you know, take a picture of me, you know, it's gonna be like the white dude with the glasses and the hat and the beard, you know, and it's like, that's what, you know, cause that's usually who that coffee consumer is. Um, so post, post Charleston, I bought my first bike, brought it to Kansas City, started Blip, and, and the idea was, you know, um, similar to coffee, you know, the motorcycle world, um, you know, was really, really calling for more, you know? I mean, it uh, it had its kind of like niche markets of, of who's allowed to ride a motorcycle and what they're allowed to go do, you know, and it's go to a bar or go to a dealership. Um, when in reality, that just doesn't encompass um, the motorcycle community. You know, I mean, it's every walk of life. It's um, every type of motorcycle. It's electric scooters to, you know, you, you pick it. Um, so in, in the framing of a community space around coffee, it was, it was so easy to bring those worlds together. Um, and so, um, you know, we host uh, a lot of different motorcycle events. You know, we do releases with, you know, we've had Triumph and Royal Enfield and, you know, we've done stuff with Harley, um, you know, and, and I think that, you know, it doesn't have to be a replacement for everywhere else folks might go on their motorcycle, but it definitely allows folks to think outside the box of like, mm -hmm. you know, what a gathering place might look like, um, you know, what, what is a what does a coffee drinking community look like? You know, I mean, does it does it have to fit into that standard norm of kind of what the perception of a coffee mm -hmm. consumer is? Um, you know, and I and I think once you kind of go down that path, you realize how big coffee is. You realize how big two wheels are. Mm -hmm. You know, like how how so many people. I mean, think about coffee consumption. You know, like everybody drinks coffee like like a hundred percent right like it's it might be instant coffee mm -hmm. it might be starbucks <laughs> you know it might be um folgers but like everybody drinks coffee um similarly like everybody rides like a motorcycle you know i mean it might be it might be a bicycle it might be uh a scooter you know but like at some point like everybody has gone come into that mm -hmm. you know and um you know, I think I think once you realize that, you know, the customer bases for these are are so diverse, you know, I, I think that um, that really changed the way that, um, you know, we, we approach the business. You know, it's like you, you want to be approachable. You want to be, you know, and that means the design of the space. You know, that means your price point. That means what your menu looks like, you know, mm -hmm. what language you use. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, so I've been a part of the uh, bicycling community now for over 20 years. And uh, and so it's funny because when I'm out on long rides particularly, um, there's times when we'll, you know, I'll be like with a, with a team, we're out doing a training, maybe a 100-mile training thing. And then there's often times when we'll pass, I mean, pass, cyclists will pass us or even even groups of cyclists that are out on like a big ride stuff like that and 
it seems like that like there's always cyclists who feel like we're 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 both on two wheels totally and so they like there's a there's a little bit of camaraderie yeah i mean i i think we've seen in in kansas city a huge overlap uh you know you brought it up earlier with the mountain biking um Mm -hmm. you know we have a ton of uh folks who might um you know one day ride their motorcycle down for a coffee and the next day they got their truck loaded up and they're you know going to bentonville or yeah. they're um you know going to go hit the trails at swope um so we, yeah. we see we see a lot of that overlap yeah and a lot of the a lot of the trail the you know earth riders that maintain trails around kansas city you know we've got hundreds of miles of single track trails that those are those are great guys they have each trail system has its own trail crew that that uh, works on it so that's a that's a fun crowd too totally yeah so what what are some of the other coffee and motorcycles what what percentage of people do you think are motorcycle riders that are your customer base oh man um i don't i wouldn't want to guess on the percent yeah. i mean it's it's quite a bit um but is it 50 percent? you think is it half your customers are motorcycle maybe, riders? maybe hmm. um you know we're you know again you know we really wanted to position ourselves so that it's not a put off you know it's not it's not a it's not scary it's not daunting you know you can come in buy a bag of beans buy a coffee you do not have to ride a motorcycle mm-hmm. to come to this mm-hmm. business um and i and i think we've done a pretty successful job at that yeah um you know being in the west bottoms is um you know pretty tricky you know i mean there's nobody down there um it's it's grown quite a bit over the last couple of years and will continue to grow you know um for years to come um you know we've been down there for eight years mm-hmm. and uh you know um a pretty pretty much a wide open canvas of what you could build you mm-hmm. know there's no there's no expectation because there's nobody there you know mm-hmm. i mean there's no there's no built-in clientele you don't have to appease anybody you know there's no uh group that you have to cater to to get your business off the ground you know we were really able to approach it um you know in in such like an organic way where we were able to to build it to where mm-hmm. it is now um and I don't, I don't think we would have been able to do that in any other neighborhood besides the west bottoms yeah and you got um let's let's talk about how people can connect with you obviously you can go down to the to your shop yep uh what's your website so um, everything is blip roasters all one word so instagram facebook website um blip twitter linkedin yep blip okay um we're open seven days a week you know every day seven to seven um, we're open till 10, 10 o'clock right now on uh wednesdays we host uh the poetic underground um it's like one of one of kansas city's larger um you know poetry groups they host open mics um they also host uh writing workshops almost every wednesday not quite every wednesday very cool awesome you got a conference room as well that people can yeah so we 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 really we reopened in our new space in september of 2020 um and it's a lot bigger than any of our other shops and um so we have like our officing um we actually have like a, a small commercial kitchen um so we sublet that out most of the time but um, we do prepare, uh, we have like breakfast burritos every day. We also have like some, some basic lunch sandwiches. Uh, we have a conference room that we rent out. 
we just finished our new patio on the south side of the building. It's a little hot right now, but it's very nice. Um, lots of space for merch, our roasting. Um, so we, we have a lot going on. Cool. All right. Well, folks, I want to encourage you to get down to uh, Blip Coffee in the West Bottoms and uh, say hello to Ian Davis. Let's go. And uh, and people can order. Uh, they they can they can get their coffee beans to use at home there as well and all that stuff, right? Absolutely. So you got merch, coffee beans, conference rooms. You basically, places. don't have to leave. You yeah, right. Just, you can just stay there all day. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, thank you, Ian, for coming on Spirituality Adventures. We appreciate uh, what you're doing in the city and the community that you're building. And we thank everybody for tuning in to Spirituality Adventures, and we will see you next time. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation, or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.